Hello, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It's really great to have you here for a conversation today with Lauren Bash. I love, love, love today's conversation and I can't wait for you to tune in. Lauren is an enthusiastic storyteller and producer. She is a content creator and has a background in film production across all steps. She alludes a little bit in today's conversation to a previous role that she had in film production from the creative brainstorming process to editing to every single organizational detail in between. Lauren is now a full-time content creator focused on sustainability at large with a very special interest in ocean conservation and plastics. In the realm of those two topics, I was really excited to speak with Lauren about her time advocating against single-use plastics with the Surfrider Foundation. She has become very active in policy, both in the state of California and nationally, recently having taken a trip to D.C. to meet with state representatives talking about the issue of single-use plastics in California. Lauren is a very, very powerful storyteller and makes these really wonderful skits that she shares across her social media platforms, really educating the public on a lot of these sustainability issues, and then also sharing so much about her community, about her family, about her life. She is a deeply personal storyteller and so engaging and one of my very favorite people to learn from. So I'm excited for you to listen into this conversation and learn from her as well. Lauren was very vulnerable about those personal topics as well in today's conversation, and I'm so thankful that she was willing to share a little bit about her family, especially because it feels like as a viewer, you've gotten to know her family. So I feel like it's such an engaging and interesting part of her story and her motivation in this space. Lauren graduated from Chapman University with a BFA in television and broadcast journalism with a minor in leadership and she also earned a postgraduate certificate in sustainability from UCLA Extension. I will have all of Lauren's links in the show notes so you can check out her content, check out her filmmaking, and how she brings this lens of production to her activism. And I'll also have in the show notes, of course, my social links and the links to sign up for the Eco Chic bi-weekly newsletter, as well as our community spotlight piece if you'd like to sign up, if you have a project or an organization that you'd really like to share and spotlight in the newsletter and on our social media pages. The newsletter has become a really, really fun place to share, of course, podcast recaps, but sustainability news, product recommendations, brands, other podcast episodes that I think y'all would like. It's a great place and it comes every other Tuesday straight to your inbox in the morning. So again, the link to sign up is in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's conversation, don't forget to share it with a friend, share it on your Instagram story. You can rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening today and it really, really helps us out. And with that, let's jump into today's conversation with Lauren Bash, all about plastics, policy, finding community, filmmaking. We talk about so, so much. I'm sure you're going to love it. Wait, so your mom is an architect. Yeah. Yes. But your mom now has a farm. It's That's her backyard. No way. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was like a full-fledged farm. It's, it's a an urban farm. Yeah. Backyard that yeah, you yeah. To share. It was um well we moved we moved into that house when I was 13 cuz my grandparents were moving in with us. They're from Argentina. And um it was perfect cuz that bottom floor was like where we lived in and then the second floor was like a mother-in-law suite. So it was perfect for grandparents with Alzheimer's cuz it was separate but still connected. Anyways, the backyard literally used to just be like a lawn. With a picnic table. Wow. And was your family always really in touch with nature? Like, were your parents always gardeners growing up? 
My mom's Argentine. And it's funny because when I like reflected on why I'm an environmentalist, I think when, well, now I know when I go and visit family in South America or even like parts of Central America, there's so much connection to land. And so my grandma, when we were kids, when they weren't living with us, always had like a really big garden in her backyard and was really connected to food. And cooking is really big in Argentine culture as well. And sitting at the dinner table for like hours until, and you eat in like courses, you know, it's not like, it's not like family style. Everything's on the table. You eat in courses and then you have mate and cookies and stuff. Anyways. So I think there's like a deep connection to land that's like rooted in South American life. Yeah. Um, and so my mom was raised that way too and raised my sisters and I that way as well. So always like deep connection to land via food, especially. I think that's my mom's love language yeah. is feeding us. Yeah. So it's like harvesting more than yes. gardening. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so you were always interested in sustainability through food. Like, was that your kind of entry point into the space? My entry point into the climate world was after Trump's inauguration. Um, I'm from L.A. And all the offshore oil permits were going to be sold across the coast of California, across the coast of all the country, but in California as well. And in L.A., we have drilling south of us in Orange County and north of us in Ventura County. But L.A.'s always protected our, our ocean. And I literally Googled, how do you stop offshore oil drilling in Los Angeles? And that's where I found the Surfrider Foundation, which is an amazing ocean conservation NGO. And I went to my first chapter meeting. And then I was like, oh, yeah, these are my people. And then the more you dive into the community, the more you're like, wow, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person passionate about this. And like, I have so much to learn. And so that was 2017. Um, but I wasn't always in sustainability. Like the story I embarrassingly tell people all the time is I remember when I was in high school, we'd like go off campus senior year for lunch. And I literally littered a pizza box out of my car window. And I'm like, maybe this is karma of like, now I spend my weekends cleaning up trash because I'm like, that's what you get for freaking littering when you were a young person. So I wasn't always passionate about it. Not like now. Right. Wait, that's so funny that that's like a flashbulb memory that oh, yeah. now you have some guilt around. I have to like take accountability for it. Yeah. I was like, I was the problem. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that humility. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Surfrider Foundation right away because you have such an interesting position in a community group where you're so deeply involved because it was your personal interest and now you're lobbying with them in DC yeah. around plastic pollution. Yeah. So I'd love to talk a little bit about how you got more deeply involved in an NGO locally yeah. and how it kind of like spiraled into political yeah. action. I want to acknowledge too, the reason I joined Surfrider, at least stayed active, was because I used to work at like a really big company. And there was a coworker of mine who was already a member of Surfrider. And she saw that I had like liked the meeting event on Facebook. This is like dating myself. Wow. And she saw it and she like emailed me or whatever, slacked me on our company Slack and was like, hey, I saw that you want to go to the Surfrider meeting. Do you want to go together? We can ride our bikes. And I feel like it's so important too, as I think of like growing the climate movement, how important it is to champion new people because it is so vulnerable and like quite intimidating if you're not already part of a community you're like do I feel welcomed here they're all really tight like I'm I'm a newbie and are do you feel welcomed enough where you're going to keep coming back and so her name's Bianca Boda she's amazing um and she really championed me and kept bringing me back and introduced me to all the people in Surfrider and was like what are you most interested in is it beach cleanups is it water quality is it beach access is it climate change and like really found my my, my groove. And so I think naturally just because I'm like an extrovert and I love being around people, the beach cleanups were the, were the most fun for me because you get to work with people who aren't in the climate space too. So you're almost like recruiting environmentalists, oh you know? Um, 
And every piece of trash that we pick up at a surf to clean up is and put it into like a data card. So it's, is it microplastic? Is it food packaging? Is it a cigarette butt or a bottle cap or whatever? And then it's all compiled and sent to our headquarters in San Clemente, where then that's used to contribute to the like legislation or policy that you see. So when we're speaking in Sacramento or DC, we can say like a uh, surf rider amongst dozens of other ocean organizations have picked up X tens of thousands of pounds of trash this year this many being cigarette butts, this many being plastic straws, this much being uh, restaurant packaging. And then that's what's used to pass like really aggressive plastic policy. We're so lucky in LA because we have like really aggressive plastic laws in LA city and then even in California. Um, But typically whatever happens in California kind of like trickles into other states. So yeah, that was my, I guess, entry into it was I was like, you know, elbow deep in the beach trash on the weekends and being like, okay, I love the sorting process of it. Maybe that's the like, I also love cleaning. So maybe that's the, like that part of my brain. I'm like, yes, let's do this. Um, But then the cool part was when I got to tell that story in Sacramento or in DC, that's not just like, this is something we're doing on the weekends, but rather, hey, this, we cannot clean our way out of this problem. You get that. Like you, you know, you tie up 800 pounds of beach trash at Sunset Point in Malibu. And you're like, we didn't, this is one Saturday and one, like one day of the year in one part of California in the country, in the world, there's no way we can clean our ways out, out of this mess. So then getting to tell that story to like Ted Lou's office, who's our state representative or like our assembly people's office up in Sacramento, you're like, oh yeah, you have a responsibility to do something about this. You know? I love the sentiment that we can't clean our way out of this problem because I feel like so often, especially when folks are getting more involved in their own sustainable quote unquote choices, recycling is the first thing you turn to and recycling is a little bit of a a lie in the year of 2023. So taking that extra step to show people an audit of what is actually out there is really powerful because it's not the easy option. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I was just in Europe and I feel like when you see the like collective cooperation there is with something like sorting your waste, you're like, oh, there is this like agreed sense of responsibility because recycling, obviously we can't like recycle our way out of this mess, but specifically when we're talking about that, in my opinion, we're talking about plastic. Like aluminum glass paper recycling is actually like quite effective. Um, While we should focus on reusables for sure, like plastic is the one that's causing the most harm when we talk about it being manufactured, created, and then like disposed. Some of the lobbyists I was with are very inspiring and very charged. And they were like, it was never made to be recycled in the first place. They know that. Like big petrochem companies know that. And so it's so unfortunate that industry has so much um, influence in the U.S. too because when you go to other countries and you see how there's this behavior of like of course you put your organics in the compost bin and of course and then from recycling there's paper plastic cardboard glass right there's like four recycling bins and then there's landfill and they're taught that at a young age and we weren't because it's not it's not enforced like industry is in bed with elected officials and they're like don't don't worry about it you don't have time You don't need to learn about it. It's fine. Quick break to tell you about crowd health. I think learning about health insurance is one of those continuing education journeys that I just have not been able to get myself behind. It's really frustrating to figure out how everything works because I feel like it's always changing. Premiums are increasing. Deductibles are getting higher. Claims denials are becoming more and more common. 
And I feel like this is especially unfortunate because I really felt like I was getting behind my health. I was getting recommendations on doctors. I was going to specialists. I was following up. I was really doing all of those adult things that I've been meaning to do. And health insurance has left me confused. And sometimes, honestly, I feel taken advantage of. Now, enter Crowd Health. Sometimes insurance companies will just not give you the time of day or the peace of mind that you need. Crowd Health always does. That's why a $50 a month membership to CrowdHealth includes tools and services that you need to get the highest quality healthcare. You'll get access to telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, so much more without doctors' networks messing things up for you. Plus, you'll have access to your own personal care advocate, which will help you navigate the complexities of health events and even negotiate bills on your behalf. It is so nice to have someone supporting you along the way. And of course, you'll join the crowd, a group of members just like you who want to help pay for each other's unexpected medical events. It's time you opt out of restrictive health insurance plans and let Crowd Health help you fit your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $50 a month. Use code ECOCHIC to get the healthcare you deserve. Crowd Health is not insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com. Code ECOCHIC. It will be in the show notes. I feel like that goes back to what you were saying earlier about making space for people that aren't already in the movement to learn more about environmental causes or learn more about what they can do as individuals. So this unlearning of just typical Western activities is one problem. But then again, making that information as accessible as possible is really important. And I feel like you are an expert (laughs) at really digestible science communication. So- I'd love to talk a little bit about entry points for people when folks come to you saying, I want to learn more about X, Y, and Z in the environmental space. Where do you typically point them to? Mm. And how do you, how do you really reach those people in a meaningful way? Mm. Well, I feel like my responsibility, what I finally got probably only like last year, maybe in 2021 was, okay, like what role do I play? Cause I'm not a scientist and I'm not an expert and I'm not in a frontline community, but I but I believe everybody plays a responsibility in this. And so when I reflected like, okay, well, yes, I have this like upbringing that's very connected to land and I'm obviously very passionate about that. But like when I reflected, I'm like, well, I was typically like the one green girl in the friend group, like, right? And, yes. And while I have amazing friends now in the climate community and it's so invigorating to be around people who share your beliefs and you're like, wow, we can like go places because we can get there very quick. And then there's so much momentum with Surfrider, with LA Compost, with like the sustainability girls in LA. It's amazing. Like, wow, we can get there. Um, But with like the folks I went to high school with or the folks I went to college with and then even who I used to work at that big company with, it wasn't. It was like Lauren's this like very radical girl who's going to like judge you if she sees you eating a cheeseburger, right? Um, We've all been there. We've all been the token sustainability friend. Dude, who was the worst? Like, shame (laughs) is literally the least effective tactic to, like, make someone want to jump on board. Yeah. It's like, if anything, you've shooed them away and then they're never going to – they're never going to change their behavior. Quite frankly, they will keep doing this, like, bad behavior in spite of you. And it's not even that you're necessarily shaming these people – it's that they're going to assume that you're shaming them. Yes. So it's like Lauren's going to give you a hard time for eating a cheeseburger. Yes. Don't let her see the exactly. thing that you're not recycling or your single use or exactly. whatever it is. And exactly. that's not where you're coming from. Yes. I have this new slogan I say in my head. Every time you shame someone for their carbon footprint, Jamie Dimon makes a million dollars. It's true. It's like, okay, you're using the same tactics of like big industry. Of like, yeah, yeah it's on you. It is on you to – to like fix this. So shame on you. You're the problem. And it's like, whoa. So anyways, 
inviting people into the space and like reflecting on what's my identity, what's my responsibility in the space. I'm like, wow, I have so many access points to folks who aren't in the climate space then. Like I'm not speaking to experts. I'm speaking to people who, like you said, like want to make a difference, but don't know where to start. I'm very passionate about this, but I'm not blank, blank, blank. And so my number one recommendation, we've already talked about this, is plugging into a community. Like, like I said, when I joined Surfrider and I was surrounded by people who were brilliant and active and so plugged in, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I have so much to learn from y'all. And you remember that it's it, like, it's not a solo problem or it's like, it's not a solo solution. So the weight cannot be on you. But when you see a community or even like dozens of environmental NGOs getting together, you're like, wow, look how powerful we are. In DC, one of my peers from Surfrider said, there's two ways to make change with a lot of money or a lot of people. And I'm like, oh, it's so, it's, it's invigorating. And so I, I think, love that. Yeah, it's so good. Well, because we saw um, oil and gas lobbyists walk by, like, nice suit, nice watch, nice briefcase. And you're like, wow, they could tell these elected officials, like, name your price, yeah. whatever you want. And we're over here, like, everyone is either volunteering their time or works for a nonprofit and is on, like, bootstrap budgets. And we're like, please pass these three bills about, like, eliminating plastic at the source. We have no money to give you, but we just have our passion. Please look at our trash audits. Exactly. Please, <laughs> like, please. Some of these sound so obvious, like making national parks plastic-free. Duh. Like, of oh, course. I'm actually surprised that national parks aren't plastic-free. Right. Yosemite is and was passed in the Obama administration, um, and then it got rolled back. And Yosemite did it so they'll even have, like, water products or even, like, Coca-Cola products in aluminum cans. Oh, of course. And then they have like refill stations at all the like potable water areas. Of course. Because these are places that are meant to be like protected and celebrate conservation. Like why would we want to litter it with a bunch of plastic? So some seem so obvious, but when you're speaking to elected officials who are very incentivized by big industry to keep plastic around, they don't see it as like so obvious. I like this concept of making change with people and plugging into community like you mentioned yeah. when you have the opposite of a lobbyist I think of the person that's being introduced to environmental causes on social media and I feel like you also do an incredible job of creating community on social you recently hosted Earthchella yes which was <laughs> a fabulous three-day festival celebrating Earth Day and you've created these spaces for people to plug in in person to make friends in the movement and to really feel that sense of community, especially if they are the token sustainability friend. So I want to talk a little bit about that, about hosting your own events and getting people together around environmental causes. Yeah. Um, I'm from LA, but I didn't live in LA during COVID. I was at an Orange County, which was amazing during the pandemic. Like we had a garden, we got a dog, we were surfing all the time. It was like very, it was a very comfortable place to be at home. Um, but as things started opening up, I was like, wow, I miss the like buzz and the beat that exists in an area like Los Angeles, um, even just being like 4X the size of people, right, or population. And so I'm newer to this side of being a creator of hosting in-person events. Like I had done Zooms or Instagram Lives or things like that, which are amazing, especially for folks who don't live in the area. Um, but again, like as the extrovert, I was like, there's something so tangible and powerful when people gather in person. And so I had no plans for Earth Day. And unfortunately, I think Earth Day is so commercialized now, like especially in the sustainability space. And at, like as someone who like makes their living working with organizations or corporations to support my work, like, yes, it is a big moment and I get it. And there's like a, 
a lot of terrible stuff happening with greenwashing, but there's also like a huge national moment for people to communicate what they're up to. And, and it feels like people are listening during Earth yeah. Month, right? Um, but anyways, I didn't want to do something commercial, so I did it all for free. And I was like, I just want to bring people together, like celebrating Earth. And so I asked my community online, like, what do you want to do? Because initially we thought we'd host like a big like a mini Coachella. It was like, there'd be music and there'd be food and there would be like vendors and like maybe cool artisans. So fun. fun. We could do like a natural tie-dyeing booth and we could do like beads made from, or like upcycled bead making or whatever. Like we could do a clothing swap. We could do all that stuff. Um, But they didn't want that. And I was like, okay, well it's not for (laughs) me. It's for you. Um, So we did a hike and then we did a big like river cleanup, LA river cleanup with my surf rider family. And then we did this amazing like plant-based potluck, which was awesome. And then we did breathwork on the beach and we all jumped in the ocean together. Um, but it was all their ideas. Like it was, they're like, I want to be outside. I want to like ha- share a meal. I want to go clean up, whatever. Um, and to be completely transparent. Well, I also like pulled it out of my butt like 10 days in advance. So it was like very little planning. <laughs> um, next year will be much better. But when I got to meet folks online who I'd had like DM conversations with or who were like, hey, you know, I've been following you since like you quit your job at Red Bull and now here you are. I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. Um, there's something so like tangible and sweet and like authentic about in-person connection and getting to hug. Like I'm a very affectionate person as well. Um, and I was like, wow, this is it. Like this is like the spirit. And even from like Surfrider to the climate movement of being in person for marches or protests or even to like this weekend at the summit like wow there's something so special and and buzzy about bringing people together and in my opinion that's where we like can can find like the rest and the comfort of being like I'm not alone this isn't my fault like I'm surrounded by people who are equally as passionate about this and because of that I think it's the sunrise movement who has a song that's like you can fight, but you can also take a break because you know that your partners are still fighting. Yeah. Like while you have you have time and flexibility and space to rest because your partners are still fighting. So maybe when we all got to be in person, we're like, oh yeah, this is this is. And it wasn't about necessarily climate activism; it was just like climate joy, like celebrating. And I love that you in this space are a vessel for people to get together. So you're saying like people are coming with their ideas and I just got us together to celebrate the weekend. You are allowing yourself to be like a facilitator as opposed to the host formally. I mean, you're hosting these events, but it's not your ideas. It's not there to like get your name further out as a creator. It's to truly bring people together on this cause that you're really passionate about. Yeah. That's, that's really, really sweet. And that's really, really humble. Oh, Yeah. At the, I mean, at the dinner, I like took a second and I think I went to the bathroom or something. And I was what we were under this like amazing oak tree. And it was just four long tables that had all connected together. And I was watching. I'm like, I, I don't even have to be here right now. Like they've all become friends. They're all looking out for each other. It was so cool. And I had all my little micro communities, you know, like we have such a rad squad of sustainability girls in LA. They're there and surf riders there. And like other people who are at the hike were there and people from the breathwork studio. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're all connecting and all becoming friends. You don't even need me. Wow. Isn't that kind of the best feeling? <laughs> yes. From going from the token sustainability girls now bringing people together that like can enjoy this without you. Yes. It's the goal. Oh, I love that. I yeah. love that. When people reach out to you about specific topics that they're either passionate about or they want to learn more about before they find this community. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the things that turn people away from finding mm-hmm. community in the climate space? Mm-hmm. 
You know what? I'll I'll mention her. Jess Clifton from Impact for oh, Good. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's amazing. Her and I are dear friends. And I always acknowledge her because I'm like, dude, you're in this fight in Arkansas. Like that – it's – I have it easy being in LA. I'm like, you talk about composting or plastic pollution or climate action or whatever. Like Kamala Harris was our senator, you know? So you're like, oh, it's so easy in California to have these conversations. Um, but in Arkansas, I'm like, you are doing the work. Like you are fighting. You, everything's a fight. Like you say the word plastic and people get like on arms. Yeah. So I acknowledge folks like Jess who find community digitally as well or create community digitally as well. And then she hosts these amazing things like the eco retreats where she gets to bring people together um, on these awesome trips. But that would be really difficult if you were living in an area and you don't have you, you don't have a Surfrider Foundation beach cleanup you can go to on Saturday or there isn't like a local protest where you can go, I don't know, protest against Chase Bank or something on a, on a weekday. And that would be really, really hard. Yeah. And so that's actually one of my goals too for this year is to find more ways to engage because yes, like being in LA, it's amazing, but that we can gather in person. But I had this uh, reality check in March and thinking just about like, the positives of social media, but also like the really terrible sides of it as well. And I feel like specifically with Instagram, we have this feeling of FOMO. Like you see what people are doing and you're like, wow, I wish I could be there. Um, I wish I had what they had. Like, yes, maybe comparison or envy, but also like, I feel, I feel like I'm missing out. Like I want to have what you have. I feel like I'm missing out. And I committed to myself. Like I never want to create a sense of FOMO on my channels. And I always want there to be a way where people can feel like they were part of it. So even when we hosted a clothing swap in February with me and Meg and Sophia and Chelsea and all the girls, um, I was like, wow, there's so many people who were saying like, I wish you, I wish I lived closer. I wish I could come, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, then there has to be a toolkit or a guide or like um, something where you feel equipped or empowered where you can do this in your community. Because while I wish I could host like clothing swaps and cleanups and like events all over the country, it's not it. And, th and that's not the point too, right? This is about like community organizing and engagement. So something that makes people feel like excited or inspired or empowered to go do it in their community. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. And you did that with Earthchella too. You and Earthchella, how to host a hearth fest. Yeah. yeah. You made <laughs> yeah. a little guide of how people could do this on their own. Yes. And there's something so powerful about the opportunity to replicate an event. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And do you hear from people who do replicate your events? Yeah. Like when people hosted clothing swaps with their friends and were like tagging me in the stories, I'm like, get out of here. And there'd be like six girls in their whatever dorm room swapping clothes. I'm like, this is it. This is the best. This is, yeah. like you said, you don't need me. Like yeah. you, you're, do I'm not there. You don't need me to do it. You've already done it. Super inspiring. Such thoughtful questions. Thank you so much. Well, I, I've been following you for a long time, but I think that's something that's so special about you as a creator is that you are just a warm person oh. and you're like that in real life too. So all of this sentiment of like, I want these communities to exist without me just seems so in line with who you are mm. as a person. And I love hearing it firsthand. Mm. And I love also that you're so open about your life. Like you're very, very, very transparent about your about your relationship with your husband, yeah. about the way that you lived during COVID, about your family. You're yeah. very open because it's clearly a personal cause to you. Yeah. And it feels that way from like my viewer consumer Aww. perspective as well. Aww. It feels like you're my friend and I'm like FaceTiming you. <laughs> well, I mean, we are friends, <laughs> yeah. but that's what I mean. Like when I'm watching your videos, I feel like we're FaceTiming and you're like telling me about your mom's urban garden. Oh, that's the dream. Yeah, that's the hope, right? Oh, I love that. What do you think is the next big topic for you? So you're tackling mm. plastic pollution. 
on just as with your lobbying work with Surfrider, you're making these communities online, bringing them together in person. What do you think is the next like hot sustainability topic that's going to bring people together or really bring them into the movement? You know what? I wit- I've never been a specialist in my life, and I think that's okay. I'm, like, learning to own being a generalist. Like, there are some activists in this space who are so effing good at what they do, and they're, like, I'm create like, Patagonia. They're, like, I'm creating the outdoors to be an inclusive, safe space for queer people. And you get that. Everything they create, you're, like, I get that. I'm empowered. I'm excited. I get that. Or there's, like, vegan activists, too, and everything they create, you're, like, I get it. I'm inspired I I see your passion in it and I get it. Or even like one of my favorite creators is um Venetia Lamana. Yes. Who, yes. And you're like, oh, your fight or your role in this is about garment worker protection and safety, equity. And I'm like, wow, I I get this. I get it from everything you create. And I've never been that. I'm like very much so a generalist. It's like a little bit of everything. And I think that's okay. Like I'm very passionate about the water. I grew up by the beach. So I'll always be an ocean enthusiast and activist. Like I love food. I'm plant-based. My mom loves cooking. I love cooking. So food will always be a big part of my life as well. And then I'm like a theater kid, like hiding in these clothes. Oh, I didn't know like, that. Oh, oh my gosh. I was a theater major my freshman year of college. No worries. Um, but so these skits and stuff are fun too because I'm like, okay, they're relatable. Like people can see themselves in either one of the characters. And I just feel like people like comedy and stuff on the internet. So those are fun too, the skits. So I feel like it will like always be moving and changing. And I think I'll always be a generalist and there will always be um, – I don't know. I, I don't – I don't see myself picking like one avenue and being like, oh, you're Lauren. You're the anti-plastics activist. Like, yes, yes, and. Yes, she's – I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. Um, but my new passion project, and I feel like even saying it out loud is going to have like an element of accountability. So I'm excited for that because I feel like now I love this. you and the community and like the universe will hold me accountable. So last January, during Veganuary, my dad went plant-based for 30 days and I literally watched him lower his blood pressure by 50 points and his doctor reduced his cholesterol medicine in half, his dosage in half in 30 days. And the only thing we did was get rid of meat, dairy, and eggs. So he was still eating like processed soy and I feel like there's a lot of pushback, but they're like, vegan food is too processed, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no one can look me in the eyes now and tell me that it doesn't work. Like I literally watched him every single day. Some of his blood pressure was like 180 over something, 180 over 110. It's supposed to be like 120 over 80. And in 30 days he took it down. And so we documented everything and I had so much fun. We were doing like Veganuary with dad. And it was so empowering because either you're a boomer and you see yourself in my dad or you're a millennial or Gen Z and you see that as your parent. And so I have all this footage with him and his like passing anniversary was March of this year. And I have all this footage and I want to create something that's really beautiful and honorable to share his story. That's far beyond, you know, like a handful of TikToks and Instagrams. So I'm producing my first short film and it's all going to be about dad and like the joy of eating plant-based and just like his wonderful, powerful journey. Yeah. So I have all this footage of him and I'm thinking of a way to compile it to honor him. And the like vegan documentaries have been done and I feel like there's a lot of fear tactics in it too, which are powerful. Like you watch it and all of the undercover footage of how you see the inside of these big ag or animal ag factories, it is so powerful. And it's it's so important that we see that too because you don't see that every day. But I think what's missing in some of those films is like the the human story or like the the joy in it too. And so 
in What the Health, there were two folks who turned a plant-based diet and were able to like get off their medicine pretty quickly, but we didn't know who they were. They were like two random people that the film team had found and kind of covered their story. But this is like my dad and his daughters and his ex-wife and my mom who had like a wonderful relationship and were cooking at my mom's house. We're like trying the vegan beyond at KFC. And it's like, this is relatable. You either see yourself as my dad, or you see your dad or your parent in that. And so I am producing the short film. I'm like still, it's, it's a uh, very sensitive to like go through the footage, but I also feel like it's been a really beautiful healing process to like look at this. And I'm so grateful that I have all this footage with him. Um, and yeah, I like feel him when I like look at the footage and whenever I miss him, I like watch it. And it's, it's so awesome that I can like continue to hear his voice even when he's not here. And so yeah, that his, we call it his like heaven anniversary. His heaven anniversary will be March 28th, 2025. And so that's when I'll have it done by. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That's so beautiful. Congratulations. And that's so special that you have all this footage to look back on with your dad. Yeah. And that was such a deeply personal experience also to watch that as a viewer because your dad was so into it. Oh, yeah. He, lo- he was a ham bone for the camera. He loved oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And the people loved him. Yeah, they did. They said it was like TikTok's favorite dad. I was like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. Well, congratulations. I can't wait to watch the short film. I'm really happy. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, Lauren, for joining me and for opening up and being so vulnerable and having such a fun conversation. I feel like I learned so much from you. A little little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. This is fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we got to meet in person. Oh, my God. Me too. I feel like I've known you forever. I know. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.